I was the only woman of colour in a kitchen. I was like, because I'm five foot two, I was the shortest person in the kitchen. I was literally the minority. I stuck out like a sore thumb. But that's what made me want to like progress further. I started off as a commie, worked my way up to a chef de party, worked my way up to a sous chef. And then I became a kitchen manager and I thought, you know what, I can do this, I really can. And the fact that it's so unheard of in my culture, I thought, I want to make a go of this. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Burnt Chef Journal, a hospitality-specific podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma and conversations designed to inspire a new, healthier, happier and more sustainable hospitality profession. This week, we're digging back into the archives to play an episode previously unreleased from COVID times. The guest in this conversation is Natisha Patel, who is an award-winning chef and food consultant from West Midlands, who has dedicated her life to exploring food and flavor. She's had numerous achievements under her belt, including first cookbook, My Modern Indian Kitchen, The Delicious Book of Dal, being recognized as the black country's master of food. Also being awarded as the Midlands Rising Star in Food and Drink in Hospitality 2017. She's now the company director of Natisha Patel Foods Limited, runs and manages her own food consultancy businesses and works with clients on a daily basis to innovative and develop first-to-market creations. Very insightful conversation, thoroughly enjoyed this. Sorry it's taken so long to get out and... I hope that you enjoy it after a short word from our sponsors. The Burnt Chef Project is proudly sponsored by Lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative, high-quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow. Working carefully with sustainably-minded farmers and growers, Lamb Weston provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges, and mash. To find out more, head to lambwestern.eu or search your partner in potatoes. Natisha, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on today. No, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Burnt Chef Journal. Natisha, I would love to learn a little bit more about you. So if you have, well, if you have the floor... Please do explain to our our listeners who you are and what brought you to hospitality. Sure. So I'm Natisha. I'm a chef, a food author, and I'd like to use the term entrepreneur, but I know that's very loosely used these days, but I do own my own food businesses as well. Um, I've been a chef for the last 16 years. I'm now 33. All I know is food, hospitality and catering. From a very young age, I knew that's all I wanted to do. I'm Gujarati, so I'm born and bred here in the UK. I'm a black country girl, born and raised in Wolverhampton. My parents are from India, from Gujarat. And growing up, we had a mixture of cultures. So my parents are both Indian, but they've grown up. Well, my mother was born in Africa. My dad grew up in Africa. So we've had a mixture of cultures in our household. So on Friday nights, we'd be having fish and chips. At the weekend, we'd be having roast dinners. During the week, we'd be having Indian curries. And my love of food started from the age of three, four, five years old. As a child, all I remember is family parties, weddings, birthdays, Diwali, Christmas. And it wasn't just a family of five, it was a family of 50 to 100 getting together and everyone would be bringing their own meals and dishes. And before my eyes, these feasts were just appearing. 
So I'd be having turkey dinosaurs somewhere and then samosa somewhere else and biryani somewhere else and just such a mixture of food, of culture, of heritage, generations, sitting with my cousins, sitting with my grandparents, sitting with my parents and hearing different stories, different love of food. And that's all I remember about my childhood, food, culture, fun, good times. And yeah, I just knew that. I always knew I'd get into food from a very young age. However, when you're a South Asian girl, you don't really know how you can turn that love into a career. So when I was in high school, amongst all these other Asian girls, I just thought about doing an academic route and, you know, following in the footsteps of my cousins and my sister. So I studied business studies, history. I wanted to go into government and politics. And then after doing my GCSEs, I realized, you know what, just pursue food. It's what you love. So I hadn't done a GCSE in food technology, and then I begged the teachers to let me do an A-level. So I did an A-level in food technology, and then from there I did a degree in culinary arts. So I went to the University College of Birmingham to do a degree in culinary arts management, and that just opened up a whole new world of hospitality. And where UCB is based in Birmingham, we've got Pernell's on the doorstep, we've got all these Michelin-style restaurants opening up in Birmingham, and yeah, I went to uni in 2007 and that was a great time for Birmingham City Centre. So it was nice to be part of that journey, like opening up in the hospitality world, just as Birmingham was opening its doors to hospitality as well. So I think that's what brought me into hospitality. That's amazing. I mean, with a background of business studies and history as well, why, why was it that hospitality as a profession stood out for you so much? I think I've always been a creative person. And I've always been academic as well. But the more I try to be a bit more academic, the more I realise this is not suited for me. And like I mentioned, I've got a large family. So I grew up with cousins my own age and we all went to uni at the same time. So some of my cousins were doing medicine. The others were doing pharmacy, accountancy, law. And then people looked at me and they were like, you're going to university to do cooking. And I was like, no, it's culinary arts management. It's a management degree, but in the culinary arts. And I think it's the fact that it sounds so different that kind of stood out for me. The fact that I could still have a degree, I could still go to university and have a university experience. And at the same time, I was doing what I enjoyed. I wasn't going to university just for the education. I was going to do something that I loved. So when I went to the open days at UCB, they had these massive like kitchen theatres that opened out into lecture theatres. And for me, it just felt like the best of both worlds. That's amazing. And so... Going from your sort of culinary education into a working environment for the first time, what was that like? Yeah, it was really interesting. So whilst I was at uni studying, I always had a job in kitchens as well, which was really interesting for me. Again, you know, touching upon the whole South Asian, like female colour thing. I was the only woman of colour in a kitchen. I was like, because I'm five foot two, I was the shortest person in the kitchen. I was literally the minority. I stuck out like a sore thumb. But that's what made me want to like progress further. I started off as a commie, worked my way up to a chef de party, worked my way up to a sous chef. And then I became a kitchen manager and I thought, you know what, I can do this. I really can. And the fact that it's so unheard of in my culture, I thought, I want to make a go of this. At the start, it was scary, super scary. But I've always had really great work experiences with the guys I've worked with, with the teams I've worked with. Also at university, I studied product development. So that kind of moved away from hospitality and got more into product development for ready meals, supermarket meals, convenience meals. So touching on that was really good as well, because I spent a total of two to three years in hospitality before I realized, you know what, this is 
a little bit difficult. I might not always be suited for this for the rest of my life. And then I got into product development and I spent five years developing meals for all of the UK supermarkets. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. so away from the front line and sort of properly behind the scenes then with regards to well, working with manufacturers, I guess. Hey? Yeah, so I was working as a head chef for a company called Midland Heart. Midland Heart are an independent living association and they, I don't want to use the word old people's home because that's not what it is. It's a building where they have restaurants, they have cafes, they have bars. And I was managing that whole catering side. I was a head chef. I had chefs underneath me. But at the same time, our customers were 50 plus. So fresh face straight out of university, having worked with 100 other peers that are working in Michelin star restaurants, I wanted to push myself. But the fact that I did a rare steak and I got complaints, it really disheartened me. So that's what drove me to product development. And I started work with a company called Bacavore. Bacavore is an Icelandic company. They're one of the world's largest food manufacturers and they produce about 60% of what you see on supermarket shelves. Now they actually do have Michelin trained chefs working for them, developing these products, doing the food safaris, doing the research and development. And the fact that it's a bit corporate as well really enticed me in. So I spent one year doing that with Bacavore and 12 months in, they asked me to be the face of their Indian ready meals. So eight years on, my picture is still in every Tesco supermarket in the country, which is just bizarre, completely blown <laughs> me away. Like my photo shoot was a day after Ken Homs. And I always remember the agency ringing me up and they're like, what are your requirements? And I was like, well, I have a car so I can drive to the studio. As long as there's a bit of lunch, that's fine. And they're like, oh, you're so easy. Ken Hom only stays at the Dorchester and he only drinks champagne and he only wants caviar. And I was like, well, I'm not Ken Hom. <laughs> so, it was like one extreme to the next. So, yeah, my first year in, in product development was just such an amazing year for my career. To know that my face is in every single Tesco supermarket in the country was just amazing. And then, again, you know, that just pushed me to work harder and go further in product development as well as doing like development for supermarkets, I was always looking at food service. So restaurants would always get in touch like Bella Italia, Pizza Express, all the chains. You know, they always want base ingredients produced by chefs, but their actual chefs working in the restaurants can't do that. So it's all manufactured and we'd be developing those recipes. So super exciting times. And yeah, I just worked my way from product development from 2011 to 2016. Spent a good five years doing that. See, you've touched upon two sides of the profession that I'm quite curious about and I think a lot of people out there at this moment in time will be quite curious about as well as we know hospitality is experiencing a mass shortage of skilled yeah. skilled professionals a lot of people are favoring work-life balance over accolades and other bits which is completely understandable but often enough when we look at the care sector we yeah. tend to you know certainly as polished refined chefs or hospitality professionals you tend to look at it as a bit of a second class job which I find having worked with the care sector myself I think people are missing out on so much and then also on the product development side of things working I guess a nine to five job like you know what must that have been like compared to working sort of 60 70 hour weeks so I got into product development because the pay is so much more better and as you touched on there it's advertised as a nine to five job however sometimes it was six in the morning till 11 o'clock at night or midnight there are pressures in the hospitality industry that only those in the industry will understand. 
that stress is unrivaled to any other stress in any other industry. However, when you have a multi-billion pound contract riding on what you're doing, you have to give it your all. So if Tesco say, right, we need a new range of 30 ready meals in the next month, you have to give it your all. You can't just do a Monday to Friday, nine till five. Your whole life is consumed by that role because so much is riding on it. It's not just serving a customer. You're producing meals that millions of people are eating across the country. So it's a different kind of stress. Like I mentioned, it's corporate. So you've got a manager that's reporting to another manager that's reporting into another manager that's reporting into a director that's reporting into a head of that's reporting into a CEO. And this hierarchy just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And to know that you're part of this hierarchy for me personally, it was a really, really daunting process, really scary. And I know we are going to touch on mental health, but I think working in a corporate industry affected my mental health more than hospitality did. With hospitality, you're all in it together. But when you're in a corporate setting, knowing how many people are above you is a lot more daunting. I resonate with that. I mean, my background is also corporate, but also from different sectors. So I've worked in, you know, travel industry, mechanical engineering. And one of the jobs I had, I've, I spent four years working in telesales, managing a team in telesales. And you jo- just literally are sometimes a number in those organizations because there's so many people and you're just a very small cog in a massive, massive wheel. So I do get that. And so after production, you came back into what we we know and love as as front-facing hospitality, hey? Yeah, exactly. So in 2016, I think I was, my mental health was the worst it's ever been. I was in a really bad way. I mean, I had a great role. I had a great salary. I had a company car. Year on year, I was making progression at work. I had customer leading roles, customer facing roles, sorry. I was managing a team. But at the same time, none of this was satisfying me. None of this was adding value to my life. If anything, I didn't have a social life. I never got to see my friends or family and I was consumed by work. My friends had also said the same thing to me. And the one thing I knew, I always knew from a very young age is that I do have a passion for food. I do have a love for food and I never want to lose that. I never want to resent my industry. I never want to fall out of love with food. So I had to make a decision and, you know, I'm writing all these recipes for large supermarkets and large customers and large clients but it's these large companies that I'm working for that are making the profit, not me personally. So I had the idea of writing a recipe book. And this is something I can do for myself. This is something that if I ever have children, it's a legacy I'm leaving behind. So I had the idea of my modern Indian kitchen. So I'm Indian. I have an Indian background. I love Indian food. But my food is quite modern and refined. So I wanted to combine the two together. And before I knew it, I was just going home after work and writing recipes but rather than typing out recipes I was writing stories so all of my recipes told a story so things like a masala roast dinner or masala fish pie you know it's not just fish pie with some curry powder bunged in there every ingredient tells a story and something to do with my childhood or my grandmother used this and I just wanted to write about my life write about my experiences but write about my food in the same way so I started creating like a manuscript and I approached so many publishers. I think when I go through my emails, it's in the hundreds. I approached so many publishers with my idea of this recipe book. And it was just rejection after rejection. So many people were like, no, sorry, there's so many Indian cookery books out there. We don't need another one. 
And then I remember one day I got an email from a publisher called Ryland Peters and Small. And they're quite a large publisher. They've got sites in London, in New York. Their books sell out globally. And they got in touch and they were like, we love your story. We love the tone of what you're talking about. We love what you're advocating for. Let's have a meeting. So I, uh, I booked a day off work one day, got on a train, went down to London in Holborn, met with the publishers and they were like, we just, we love everything about your story and we'd love to offer you a contract for your first cookery book. And it was just, it was a breakthrough moment for me. Being in such a bad place, financially, mentally, physically, my health was deteriorating. I was having a bad time at work, but then to have this light just emerge and it's not the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't believe in that. I believe that we get lights at various moments in our journey. And that was the significant light for me at that moment in time. It just, it showed me that if you have the potential, there is so much you can do. So got this contract, signed the contract, started work on the book, put it on my social media. And then social media started exploding for me. At this point, I was just on Instagram and Facebook, like my personal profiles. I never had anything with Chef Natisha or I never called myself a chef. But the minute I started pages, like, my modern Indian kitchen, Chef Natisha. Chef Natisha's launching a book. Like it just exploded. And yeah, to get followers from all over the world and so much engagement on my posts, my recipes, things started snowballing and all for the good. And then people started getting in touch saying, oh, can you do a bit of consultancy for our restaurant? Or, oh, do you do private dining? And yeah, all these opportunities just started coming my way. So I had to make a decision. Like, do I stay in the corporate field where you know, you can make a lot of money and you're guaranteed work or do I kind of go it alone and become my own boss and explore all these other opportunities that were coming my way that, you know, they're not set in stone. They're not promised. It's not a promised salary, but it's very exciting. And I'm doing something under my name. You know, I'm not just an employee number for a large corporate company. I am my own boss and I call the shots for weeks and months. I've been abused at work. You know, people are quite literally taking the piss but now it's my time it's my time to shine what do I do so I took a gamble and I I went alone I started Natisha Patel Food Consultancy and Chef Natisha so two separate companies that's amazing I'm inspired just talking to you I absolutely love that and I think many people out there sort of might be listening to this and going yeah I'm inspired and there are also some people out there going oh well you know it was a lucky break and I'm just waiting for mine and it depends on what side of the coin you sit but I definitely feel over the last sort of three or four years I've become a lot more spiritual but also I've realized that sometimes the world is full of like thousands of people right all with different views unique perspectives on things and as you've clearly said you know it took a lot of continual resilience at a time when you felt really low but you had a passion and a belief in yourself yeah just that one person to give you that lucky break but you know it's through sheer grit and determination and I think there's a strong lesson in that Oh, thank you. If you're enjoying this week's episode, consider heading over to our website and supporting our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental illness and creating a healthier, happier, and more sustainable industry by purchasing some of our branded merchandise. We have a whole range of t shirts, hoodies, chef's jackets, well being journals, plus a whole host more available on Worldwide Dispatch. All funds raised from sales of these items go towards free-to-access e-learning content as well as providing free support 
systems and help for those who may be experiencing difficulty with their mental health? I need to add, when I made that decision to go it alone, so like you touched upon spirituality then, back then I was also consuming all this material online about, you know, the law of attraction, the secret, Tony Robbins. I was focusing on authentic South Asian cuisine to your door and it's absolutely vegan, plant-based and all about packaging is environmentally friendly too. Now, I was really naive and thinking that, yeah, getting chefs isn't going to be a problem. We'll have a kitchen team in no time. But we struggled, admittedly, you know, we were, we were quite naive. We struggled getting chefs. Luckily, I have a great relationship with UCB, the University College of Birmingham, and they have hundreds of chef students working there. And some of them are master students as well. So I was lucky enough that I was able to get two master student chefs from UCB, which are both from, who are both from India as well. So they have a back, strong background in Indian cuisine, where I struggled was getting AKP. So it would appear that even though everyone needs work right now, nobody wants to be a KP, nobody wants to be a cleaner, nobody wants to wash the dishes. It took me three months to find a KP and he's just absolutely brilliant. He's so good. And then two months into work, he came into the office one day and he said, chef, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, what's up? And he said, can you train me to be a chef? And I just thought, I was so proud of him for asking and for taking that step. But what's worrying now is that what do I do when he's fully trained? Where's that next KP going to come from? Everyone's thinking about progression, which is great. Everyone wants to be the chef, but no one wants to be the cleaner anymore. No one wants to be that pot wash, that strong force that's keeping the whole kitchen going clean and organized. And that's what's worrying me at the minute. So how do we get those people back into work? Mm, good question. What is it that's stopping people from applying for those roles in the first place? Yeah, exactly. However you address it, you know, are you calling them a kitchen porter, kitchen assistant or cleaner? However you dress it up, the fact is they're still going to be your kitchen cleaner, your kitchen porter. But again, though, you know, some of the most fulfilled and happiest people I've met are people who clean hospitals. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine's mum, she was always the most joyous and happiest person because her role was paramount to ensuring the safety and health of every last person within that building. Your friend's mom didn't grow up with a mobile phone and Instagram, and she wasn't always shown a happy life. The kids, the youth of today are growing up on social media where everyone else is an entrepreneur, where everyone is living it up. So from that younger generation, who would want to be the cleaner when on their Instagram, all their peers are driving Ferraris or they're all having brunch or they're all on holiday, they're all traveling. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but then I try and stay clear of terms like oh, everyone has this or you know, looking yeah. at other people and comparing my life to it because they're all on their own journeys and you have absolutely no idea how they got to that point. You know, yeah, it could be true. that they've had a you know, serious loss in their life and they've ended up with a boatload of inheritance. And to be honest with you, I know which one I would prefer, you know, the yeah. family member that could have I could have lost. So this is what I try and I try and bring people's reality back into perspective and be like, you have no idea what's gone on and whether or not also those people are happy. But I think we are always going to need different roles fulfilled. And I think that yes. no one is ever going to come at overnight success and earn loads of money. Like, as you say yourself, it took, it's taken a long time and your journey's still ongoing with regards to that. And you know, none of us are sat here being millionaires at this moment in time and we're still working bloody hard for it. So how do we entice those people to to start? You know, perhaps do you need as an employer 
to have a clear progression model in place to say that actually if you start as a kp here in six months time we'll start you through your basic training to become a chef or you know sommelier or whatever it might be yeah absolutely and that's something that darlings that we do want to do we've recently taken on a 16 year old apprentice and you know we've always told him that we have high hopes for all of our apprentices one day you could be the head chef you could be running your own darling site our aspirations for darlings is to have a nationwide brand we want to grow the brand quite quickly and we want to have sites in every city and we'd like our staff to grow with us we'd always like to take on more apprentices just because you know the younger they are they're more excited about it as well they'd like to learn more about the brand they'd like to learn more about the industry the field and we'd love to take them on our journey with us Mm. all of our chefs are in their early 20s we haven't got anyone experienced in not only because we couldn't find them but also because we want to have those younger fresh face people in that are excited about the journey we're taking them on a journey with us good on you but on the flip side of that how are they doing as leaders who is who's your leadership team and and you know how are they coping with regards to being responsible for very young members of a growing organization well see that's the benefit of when the director is a chef so you get directors of food businesses that aren't usually chefs or from the industry they've just got a lot of money they've got the wealth they've got the investment but my benefit is that I'm effectively kitchen manager. I might not be there every day right now, but I'm still a kitchen manager. They all know that. They, When I walk in, they'll always say, hello, chef. They always address me as chef, never a director. They know I am part of the chef team. I'm not afraid to get my chef jacket on and jump in there. They know that. I'm always sweeping. I'm always mopping. I'm always cleaning. They know that. They know that I'm the chef, but they know that they are a team. And those chefs work together as a team. Obviously, the most experienced one is effectively our head chef, but I'm effectively the kitchen manager. I manage it from a paperwork point of view, from a legal point of view, from due diligence, but the chefs manage the food and I've let them do that. They've had three months of training and not many places do that, but for three months we trained our chefs and it was a good opportunity to create content for social media. But for three months, day in, day out, they were cooking, not for the public, but for themselves, they got a way to take that food home. They got to eat it there as a team. We took our chefs on a payroll. We took them on. And unfortunately, we were told the building wasn't ready. We had no hot running water. So legally, we couldn't open. And I thought, you know what? We're paying the chefs. Let's make the most of this. So they came in every day and we trained them on the menu. And we did things again and again and again until the products were ready. And at the same time, food wasn't going to waste because we were creating social media content. And then one of my chefs, bless her, she, she said, Chef, on my way home, there's a homeless man. Can I go and give him some food? I'm like, of course you can. Take whatever you want and go feed the homeless. So if we had food in excess, that would go and feed the homeless. That's amazing. So one thing that we talk about a lot, and, and you've mentioned it quite a few times, is the term chef and you know how the most experienced chef is the head chef. What we're seeing in what wide abundance at this moment in time is a massive, massive gap whereby people are promoted into these roles. I'm not saying it's your organization, but just in general across our international hospitality sector is that we're seeing people who are promoted as into this head chef role because they are the most experienced. And that could be because the head chef left, you're then sous chef, then the sous chef leaves and so on and so forth. But the head chef role has always been because you can run a pass, you run a section, you can kind of manage GP, although sometimes, you know, that's not necessarily a prerequisite you're able to be the first one in and the last one out. But we never actually teach our chefs to be managers and yeah. look at people. And I was just wondering what your thoughts on were on that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And just drawing on my own experience, I've seen that myself as well. 
most of my head chefs were not leaders or managers and they lacked social skills. They lacked people skills, but they were really good chefs. Their food was amazing, but they lacked everything else. And that's something that comes with practice. It's not you either have it or you don't. I think when you put into a situation, you can learn from that situation if you want to. My team are very young and hopefully, you know, as they grow, they pick up on these skills as well as they're growing the business. And with the business at the minute, yes, it's a takeaway, but we have huge aspirations. We do want to be caterers. We do want to do large events. We do want to do pop-up restaurants. We have a great network in Birmingham that want us to come in and do pop-ups. We do want to do meal kits. So there's various different areas for them to expand their own skills. They're not just stuck in a cloud kitchen cooking all day and sending out meals to delivery drivers. There are options and opportunities for them to interact with the public, interact with the customers. They can go and sit in the vans and do street food. So using all of that and combining all of that together, I think there's some great opportunities for these chefs. Yeah, to become potentially operational directors at some stage, you know, there's a lot yeah. big learning opportunity here. Potentially, yeah. So having experienced, you know, sort of low periods yourself and having uh, mental illnesses or mental health issues, what sort of things do you do now that keeps you firing on all cylinders and, and ensures your well-being is tip top? It's funny you say that. Last week I had one of the quite, I had like the biggest deadline ever for my food consultancy company. My head chef had called in sick, so Darlings was just mayhem. And my partner, who I live with, had come down with COVID. So literally everything happened at once. And I just, I closed my laptop. I got out an adult colouring book and I started colouring. My partner came into the room and he went, what are you doing? You've got so much work to do. And I went, I need to step away to be productive. I need to just step away from it all. And I just took an hour away, cleared my mind, just coloured. Wasn't thinking, I was just colouring. And I felt all the better for it. I just sat on my sofa, had a glass of wine and I was colouring, came back and I was more productive than ever. And sometimes you just need to step away from it all and you need to take a new perspective, break things down and just look at it from a new angle. And the work did, it just got done. I completed it just because I had time to take away. I didn't have the time, but I made time. And sometimes that's all you have to do. We'll always say, oh, I haven't got time for this and I haven't got time for that. And that's true. We live in a busy lifestyle. We all have a really busy lifestyle right now. That's just the society we're living in. But we need to manage our time effectively. And we all deserve a bit of downtime. We all deserve a bit of quiet time. And you need to create that yourself. Yeah, I hear that. I've had many conversations over trade shows over the last week with business owners who are going, oh, we just don't have the time. You know, we don't have the time to have a lunch and feed our team. We don't have the time to, you know, to plan rotors two weeks in advance. They have to be done on the day. And I'm like, you don't have time because you haven't made time. You have to physically carve that time out and ensure that you're responsible for keeping that time as well and not just going, oh, do what, we'll let it slip this time. Because if you do that, there's no bloody point. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in rituals and routines. So one of my rituals and routines is on a Sunday night, get out my notepad and do my weekly planner. And there's every week I have five pages and they're all titled Darlings, Chef Natisha, Natisha Patel Food Consultancy, and then my clients' names. And then I split that out and then I know what I'm doing for each section every single week on a weekly basis. I plan it weekly and daily. And then I, I have clear visibility of what I'm doing and when it needs to be done by. All my deadlines are all listed. Organisation is key and only you can get yourself organised. No one's going to do that for you, right? No, that's, you're very, very true. No one knows what the priorities are unless they're inside your own head, hey? 
Have you got any resources if someone wanted to learn more about how to organize or, you know, time segment their week, anywhere people can learn? I mean, there's so many apps and all these new software programs coming up. But for me, I'm really old fashioned when it comes to just a notepad, a pen and my calendar. That's all I need. And as long as it's all written clearly, that's all I do. When it comes to resource, you just need to scope everything out. And I'd say start with your biggest deadlines, your biggest priorities, get those done, break it all down into chunks, manageable chunks, and just, yeah, start from there. I find also splitting pages into two, like priority, like must-haves and not must-haves, like almost like saying, actually, do you know what? If I forget to do these, it's okay, and I'm giving myself permission to do so. And these are like, actually, no, there's, you know, I need to do it because, well, I need to make sure I pay my rent because it's a big thing, you know, like whatever it might be. So to draw this to a relatively neat close, the last two questions for you is what advice would you give to someone who was looking at pursuing same sort of career path as yourself? You know, when I launched my Modern Indian Kitchen, I had an influx of messages on Facebook and on Instagram saying, I want a cookery book. How do you do that? And I'd be like, okay, this is what you need to do. And I actually gave them like a breakdown of what I did. And the minute people realised that, oh my God, she pulled all-nighters and wrote her own recipes and it's taken her a year, they're like, oh, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do that. So if you want success, work for it. And I know it sounds cliche, but honestly, you get out what you put in. And if you're not going to put in the hard work, if you're not going to put in the graft, you're not going to get any success. You need to get your hands dirty. You need to get stuck in there. You can't just sit on the sideline and expect success. You need to be at the forefront getting yourself dirty. Getting yourself dirty. I like it. (laughs) I think it's very... You learn so much more than just what your task is though as well you learn more about yourself the more that you are really getting in the trenches and starting to dig your way out whether that is writing a recipe book or designing a business or you know coming up with a new concept like never ends up the initial concept that you thought either does it it will always end up taking twists and turns yes your journey does evolve and so do you you have to evolve and then the final question is if you could give some advice to a 16 year old version of yourself or even to a 16-year-old version of you, what would you say? When I was 16, my heroes, my idols, was Rick Stein, Keith Floyd, and Gary Rhodes. White, British, middle-aged men. There was no one in the media that looked like me. That was a chef that did what I wanted to do. I had no role models. I couldn't see myself in anyone in the media. And when I was 16, the world was a very scary place because I was going away from the norms of society that I'd grown up with. And I was going against my own dreams because of that. If I could go back in time and talk to the 16-year-old Natisha, I would say, have those dreams and do it bigger than you ever imagined. Don't worry about what anyone else is going to say or do or think about what they're going to think about. You just do you. If you've set your eyes on a vision... Go for it with everything that you have, every single ounce of passion and more. Love it. And to anyone listening, if you don't know what that is yet, don't worry. Yeah. You know, the fact that you're asking yourself that question means that at some stage, you know, ideas will form and you'll start to develop your own sense of flow and fulfillment. There's, as they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. And sometimes we have to, I love the fact that you were talking about reading Tony Robinson's books and, and those sort of things. You have to, 
start to explore what you're capable of and what other people have done in order to be able to really expand and, and develop your firm ideas moving forward, don't you, really? Yeah, exactly. Your journey does evolve. It does. What you want when you're 16 might not be what you want when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s. Your plans change, your dreams change, but just stick by your gut feeling. Gut feeling, exactly. A gut feeling. Know when things feel right and when they don't and yeah. trust your gut. It's been around a lot longer than our brains have. It's been part of human evolution for donkeys now. So uh, I love that. What a great way to finish. Natisha, thank you very much for joining us today. And yeah, best of luck with all your future endeavors. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. No problem at all. <laughs>